It looks like some of the recent run-up in jobless claims was weather-related from the, the storms that we had throughout the South and, and Alabama in particular. And now that we're moving past that, we're seeing that claims are coming back down a little bit. Welcome to my secret lair on Skull Crusher Mountain. Hope that you've enjoyed your stay so far. I see you met my assistant Scarface. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. Today is Friday, May 20th, and that was Mark Vittner, senior economist at Wells Fargo Securities. You heard at the top talking about jobless claims. Today I have two very special co-hosts with me, Jacob Gans and Franny Kelly of NPR Music. Hey guys. Hi Alex. Hey. So you guys both work at NPR Music, which is in the same office, a couple of cubicles down from me. Part of it, yeah. We're uh, we're the New York branch, and NPR Music is is the amazing NPR Music site where you have album previews, you you have the tiny desk concerts which you can see online, you have music news, and um, you are co-hosting Planet Money with me today because we are wading into territory that you guys deal with a lot. The debate over the question is the internet good or bad for musicians. The internet's basically the the big question of the music industry right now, and it will be for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so we're going to get into that question today on the podcast, and we, we're going to meet a man who comes down squarely on one side of this debate. And along the way, we're going to find out some hard, cold internet music business-related numbers. But first, as always, our Planet Money Indicator with Jacob Goldstein. Hey, Jacob. Hey, guys. Today's Planet Money Indicator, 21%. That is the unemployment rate in Spain. It's obviously a crazy high number for an unemployment rate. It's the highest unemployment rate in the Eurozone. And it has been that high for a while. But I picked it as today's indicator because actually there is a new reason to worry right now about Spain. And and you know I love a reason to worry. <laughs> I, do, I do know that about you. So I feel like the line on Spain lately has been, yeah, it's in bad shape, but it's getting its act together. It's cutting its spending, cutting its deficits. It's separating itself from Greece and Ireland and Portugal, which are sort of seen as the real bad cases in Europe. And that is true. It is definitely the case that Spain is in better shape than Greece and Ireland and Portugal. But let me give you my new reason to worry. And it comes from these regional elections that Spain is having all around the country this weekend. There's a good chance that in these elections, the ruling party is going to be voted out of office. And then what we're likely to see is new governments coming in and finding out that these regions have essentially been lying about their deficits. That's basically what happened last year in the region of Catalonia. There, a new government came in and found out that the region's deficit was way, way higher than everybody thought. And of course, these new governments are being voted in because the unemployment rate right. is so high. Right. <laughs> Which is also contributing to the economic difficulty. I mean, it's, a, right. you know, it's still pretty ugly. And this this, of course, is also what happened in Greece, right? That Greece, they had these new elections, and that's where the new government came in and found out, oh, wait, the old government had been totally fudging the books, and <laughs> yeah. our situation is much more desperate than we thought it was, and, and that's when the whole Greece crisis really reignited. And in Greece, it happened at a national level. Greece is definitely still worse off than Spain. Greece is even today sort of falling apart some more. It got downgraded again. But, you know, even though Spain is not in as bad of shape as Greece, Spain, as we've been saying for a while now, it's really important. You know, Greece basically can go down. Greece can default on its debt. And there's a pretty good chance the world will be all right. But if Spain goes down, worry. All right. Mission accomplished, Jacob. <laughs> You've shared your reasons to worry. Thank you. All right. Now on to our other Jacob, Jacob Gantz and Franny Kelly. Before we meet... The subject of today's podcast, what I'd like you to do is set up the debate. And 
there's a significant contingent of folks who say the internet is bad, not just for the recording industry, but for musicians themselves. The people who actually make music, the internet is going to be a net bad thing for people who make and, and consume music. And we just like lay out that side of the argument. All right. So the story that I guess the record labels want us all to believe is that we're all in trouble because it's impossible to sell music for a fair price these days because it's so easy to steal it, right? And the idea is that Napster made this all possible. Now we're all used to it. There's no turning back. And the argument is... And the argument from the industry's point of view is that this makes it incredibly hard to sell records when anybody who has a a broadband connection can basically just go on the internet and get get them for free. The idea being that we have devalued music. I see. And what do you guys think about that argument? I think it's probably fairly accurate. I mean, I'm not sure that the price pre-Napster was entirely fair and the way that the money broke down certainly didn't always benefit the artists. Mm-hmm. But we're all used to getting it for free or for 99 cents a song or maybe, you know, 49. And I think that that ultimately does hurt the artist. All right. So the rest of this podcast is a counter argument to that sentiment. The man I'm going to introduce you to is basically a one-man refutation of that argument. And let's meet him now. Most people listening probably have not heard of this man. His songs never get played on the radio. He doesn't have a contract with any music label. And yet he makes a lot of money doing music. Um, A lot of money. This is a spreadsheet of my income over the last four years. So 2007 through 2010. And I'm looking at the total net. Are you prepared to reveal those figures? Uh, you know, it's, it's, a it's, I don't know. It's always embarrassing. It's embarrassing to talk about that. Ladies and gentlemen, Franny, Jacob, meet Jonathan Colton. He is a singer songwriter in Brooklyn. And I, unlike him, am not embarrassed to say what he made in 2010. He actually authorized me to tell everybody he brought in almost half a million dollars. And since his overhead costs are very low, most of that money goes straight to him. Which is crazy. It's just insane. Did you ever imagine yourself making this much money off of your music? Of course not. <laughs> this is absurd. It's an absurd situation. Look at me. This is this ridiculous office here in the parlor of this Brooklyn brownstone. This is this is the business that I'm doing here? It doesn't seem right. Hey you Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. I really wish you'd let us in. So Jonathan Colton's music is funny, melodic, and and pretty nerdy. This is one of his hits. We'll get to what exactly a hit means in Colton's case a bit later. But it's a song called Regarding Your Brains, which imagines a pleading email written by an ex-office mate who is now a zombie. But here's an FYI. I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. Now, they're not all just purely jokey. They can get serious, although even the serious ones are sort of funny, like a song about suburban alienation and dysfunctional marriage called Shop Back. Maybe if you forget to hide the keys, I'll take a ride to Applebee's. Come home drunk on daiquiris and throw up on. Downstairs with the shop back 
You can call, but I probably won't hear you because it's live with the shop back on. Okay, so that's Jonathan Colton's music. And the question is, how does he take these songs and another 95 like them and turn it into half a million dollars in revenue? And the answer is the thing, Franny, you're saying is taking money out of the hands of musicians, the internet. All right, so we're going to jonathancolton.com and here is the music page. And this is uh, basically a reverse chronological list of the songs that I have released. Next to each one, there's a button that lets you stream it and listen to it, and there's a, a button to buy it for a dollar. So advantage went to this situation for Jonathan Colton. When people click that button on his website, the money goes directly to him, unlike in the old system where the label took a lot of the money, right? Yeah, there's no costs here to divvy up. He's, there's no infrastructure that, that requires feeding a, a feed of a flow of cash to keep it going. I mean, it's basically just him, right? He can do the whole thing himself. It's him. And, and, and like in the old days, like for every CD that was sold, you got very little of that money as the artist. Sometimes yeah, I mean, you didn't get any money. Right. I mean, there's distribution costs. There's promotional costs. You have to pay people, you know, to clean the offices in, in, in the building that the, that the label is housed in. I mean, like all sorts of costs go into keeping artists, you know, on labels and, and continuing to put out records. Um, and when you're just doing it on the internet, there's no physical costs at all. Right. You have to pay to have your own computer and an, and an internet and connection. Server space. And server space. But that's, but that's you about it. You've got to pay it. a cut, right, to PayPal. Or... Yeah. Right. But a cut to PayPal is a lot different than a cut to Electra Records or whatever, right? Like it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, lot smaller cut. <laughs> <laughs> so here's this random guy. He puts up his website. It's a tiny little dot in the middle of the internet. But not only do people go there, they pay for something that, as you guys pointed out, they could get very easily for free. If you really want to, you can, you can steal it, yeah. And yet, people pay a dollar for it. Yeah, they do. And, and uh, I think that certainly there are some people who buy it because they don't know they can get it for free. And if I had a button up here that said, download all this stuff for free, a lot more people would do that, I think. Um, but, you know, I still think that a lot of the sales that come through are from people who are choosing to buy it. Um, and it's because, you know, I think in, in my case, more than some other art, art, artists, for sure, it's you, you know that the money is going to me. And I think people feel like they're a part of something. All right. So that last part that he said, that being a part of something, that to me is the key of what's interesting about Jonathan Colton. That's why people are willing to pay for his songs, because they feel like they have this relationship with him. And part of Jonathan Colton's business model is maintaining that relationship. He has this blog that he updates regularly. He's constantly interacting with his fans on Facebook or tweeting things to his 60,000 Twitter followers. There are forums on his website where his fans can trade gossip about him or discuss their favorite songs or set up ride boards to his concerts, that sort of thing. All right. So what do you think? Have I, have I convinced you? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, the fact is that he just... It sounds He's like the not... internet was great for Jonathan Colton. I mean, the the problem with this comes in in, in whether or not this is an example for, that anybody else can use to get to 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 make any money on the on the internet. And I think that that to get to that point, we have to know what all the different things that he did to get to that point were. And I would imagine that it's that you know, like just the making his songs available was was only part of it. He had to get a break somehow, right? Like he still had to have people want to buy his music, know who he was. And that didn't happen because he was on the radio, right? 
Right. That's a good point. And that's something that like a lot of people say, I'm sure that you've heard this too, that the label system, you know, the old way before the pre-Napster music world, the label made your record for you, but it also got you a lot of fans. Um, and, and it promoted you, it got you on the radio, it sort of, it, it, it was the thing that set you up with an audience. Yeah, and, they've got relationships with, with radio stations, they've got relationships with stores, they've got relationships with movie studios and, and, and television studios, um, and they, these are all ways that the, the record labels have, have a long history of, of being able to get people to hear your music without paying for it right. as well. So what Jonathan Colton would say to that is, you don't need the label for that either. Again, all you need is the internet. And a lucky break. And here was his lucky break. Code monkey, get up, get coffee. Code monkey, go to job. Code monkey, have boring meeting with boring manager Rob. The song that really hit big for me was the song Code Monkey, which is about a sad uh, software designer, semi-autobiographical. For nine years, I wrote software, and I quit that to do this. Code monkey, think maybe manager want to write goddamn login page himself. Code monkey, not say it out loud. Code monkey, not crazy, just proud. You know, I put it out there, and overnight it sort of exploded, and it was on Slashdot, which is a big technology site. And- That's right, yeah. Uh, and it's it's notorious for bringing people's servers down, because it's so many people read that that if somebody- every Every tech geek in the world reads Slashdot, basically. Exactly. And so here was this song about a sad tech geek, and it went directly, it was shot, an arrow shot directly to the heart of the tech geek community. And that was the equivalent of you know, me, me being discovered by some impresario and, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, getting to go on the Ed Sullivan show, show when nobody knew who I was and people, you know, that was my breakthrough. Do you think you would have been, if we, you know, 20 years ago, before the, before the internet, before social media, would you have been able to, would you be making a living as a musician? Well, 20 years ago, I moved to New York City to make a living as a musician. And instead, I got a software job. So the answer is no. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. I moved to I moved to New York with dreams of becoming a rock star, you know. And I kind of played in a band, and kind of nothing happened, and did some open mic nights. I didn't know what to do, you know. In those days, you had to make a demo tape and bring your demo tape to an office, you know. And it was the same thing with touring. You, if you wanted to tour, what you had to do was play locally because you could drive there in your car or take the subway there, and you could afford to. Uh, play a show for your six friends and the one other guy who was there by mistake. And if you did that enough times, then maybe the one other guy would like it and bring two of his friends next time. And you would gradually build this audience in ever-widening concentric circles. So you get a, you, now you can afford to rent a van for six days and you know drive to Boston and Philadelphia and, uh, and you're still not making any money. And you're building and building and building. It sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. The old way seemed so hard and awful that I stayed, I stayed out of the industry. So what you're saying is you didn't have what it takes to make it as a 20th century musician, but you have what it takes to make it as a 21st century musician. <laughs> that's right. I was born a little bit too early. That's all. All right. So he just said it right there. He couldn't make it in the old way. And then after the internet, he's now making a living as a musician. How can you refute that? I want him to tell me how to replicate his success. What do you mean? You don't think that... I mean, I think that... 
he's making money because he wrote a song that hit on Slashdot, right? Mm -hmm. What is another song that I could write that would hit that way? I mean, basically what you're saying is that for Jonathan Colton, the internet basically provided like a perfect a perfect storm, right? He, he wrote a, a, a geek-friendly song that also happened to be like slightly pop friendly mm -hmm. and you know people on Slashdot are geeks and everybody likes decent pop music so you know like when those two things converge and then also Jonathan Colton was you know able to have his songs widely available on the internet and also he had you know he, he wrote code so you know he could he, he could have a website and everybody could see it immediately and also he you know has a history working in the industry and knows what he likes and knows what he wants to do and knows what he doesn't want to do he was able to like put these things together really fast I mean the, the thing listening to that tape the thing that that I started thinking about was Justin Bieber, who is 2010's big, honestly, 2010's big internet success story. Justin Bieber started out playing acoustic guitar covers of pop songs and soul songs and posting them on YouTube, and then the industry took over. And Justin Bieber at this point is one of the biggest stars in, in the music industry, in the recording industry, but also in the live touring industry. I mean, right? And Bieber played... Madison Square Garden. They put out. A, they made a movie about his his journey from a small town boy in, in Canada to playing in Madison Square Garden. And that's one thing that the industry can do that I think Jonathan Colton still can't do by himself. Is make somebody is is make is jump from that basic step to the to Madison Square Garden. to Madison Square Garden. Right, right. But I don't really care about the Justin Bieber's. I feel like there's always going to be Justin Bieber's. I'm going to Google who he is in a minute. But uh, uh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I know who Justin Bieber is. I got Bieber fever. Uh, but but I feel like there's always those people. You're, but so like, you're, look, you're thinking about like basically what we would call middle class musicians, right? Like yeah. the ones who aren't the huge stars but make a go of it and continue to be able to right. and make Mike things can, work on a, on a daily basis and sustain a career. And it seems like Jonathan Colton wouldn't have made a wouldn't have had a career in musician. I mean, he said so himself. He wouldn't have had a career in music before. Like, before the internet, that would have been basically impossible for him because he, he didn't... He wasn't label material. Yeah, you couldn't make the, he couldn't make that work for him. And in the past, let's just be, a, you know, like, if, as long as we're laying all these cards on the table, you know, you didn't always have to have the, the labels work for you, right? There were other ways to do it. There was a, there was a big in, independent infrastructure. You know, there's a DIY movement. There are all these different ways that you can do it, but they do involve a lot of work, right? Like, he was saying he didn't want to book all these tours. He didn't want to ride around in vans. He didn't want to get two more people and then two more people and two more people right. to his shows. Right, like yeah, it's just it's much easier. It's much easier to post something on the internet and then hope it hope you catch your break that way. It's like much easier. And 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 what he would say, and I asked him about this, and I said, "Are you just sort of a fluke, a niche fluke, or or, or 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 do you think your model is replicable?" And he was like, "Absolutely, I'm. A, I have a niche. I have a certain audience that likes me. They happen to be a geeky audience that tends to gather on this one part of the internet." But he's like, "Really, what you need right now, what the modern world offers, is like a, a place for you to." put stuff up and then if people happen to like it it's really easy to share it with other people who like it and it's really easy to pass it around that's what the internet is is groups of people who like the same stuff showing each other stuff like that this is amazing and so you know for me it's been remarkable to watch because i write all these different things about you know i'm a very niche uh, subject matter guy too so you know my song about i have a song about curling uh, and that, I'm sure, has been played in curling clubs all over the country, all over the world, uh, because there are not a lot of songs about curling. And so if you're, if you're in this online forum and you're meeting all the other people in the country who like curling, which, by the way, when was there another opportunity to meet all the people in the country who like curling? Never. And so now you're all talking about stuff, and somebody says, hey, here's a song about curling. 
and you send it to all of your curling buddies all over the world. Uh, and I, that's, you know, that has been the engine that is, has, has driven my expansion of, of fans over the years. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, so right now, Jonathan Colton's business model is this beautiful, self-sufficient ecosystem. His fans give him money in return. He provides them with music and ways to feel connected, like what you're hearing right now. This is the 2011 Winter Joko Cruise the five-night Caribbean cruise that Jonathan organized with 350 of his fans. They paid a whole bunch of money to go on this cruise with him. He booked other musicians, and they, they went on this cruise. And the sound that you're hearing is from Tuesday night of the cruise, which was karaoke night. <laughs> All his fans got up and sang their favorites of his songs. This is a guy singing the song we heard at the beginning regarding your brains. I feel like this is the platonic ideal of what the new model could be. This is Jonathan Colton's job. He hangs around, fools around that guitar, writes a couple songs, posts on his Facebook page, maybe updates his blog, sends out some tweets to his Twitter followers, and that's his job. And then once a year, he goes on a cruise. So I ask you again, what's bad about that? Have I convinced you yet? I still think it's, it's good for him, and it's not that good for everybody else, I guess. I think that the, someone like Jonathan Colton, you know, He's basically hit the lottery of the internet at this point. He has no involvement from a label, and he gets to do all these things, and he makes a huge amount of money. That's going to happen for very, very few people. My question is, is it going to happen for fewer people than it used to happen for? Like, it was always hard to make it in the music industry. Very few bands ever got their lucky break. I'm not saying, is every musician going to make money in this glorious internet future, but is it better? Well, yeah, but that's the thing is, like, he's one person. He's not doing anything other than, like, making a product and selling it. And he hit, like, he's kind of like a Snuggie. You know, he's a he's a blanket with sleeves. We didn't know we wanted it. And then all of a sudden, we did. Uh-huh. And we were willing to pay, like, a dollar and send it to all of our friends or something. Right. Maybe the Internet is good for one musician by himself, but he's not a label. He doesn't have to sort of invest and inspire younger artists and like maintain his older artists. Mm-hmm. He like he there's a way for him to to support himself, but he's not he's not a business. And I think that that's the key here. I mean that we're going to keep coming back to this point. Jonathan Colton whether or not he in the future is an example that people will be able to follow and I'm sure that he is. I'm sure that in the future somebody will say I wrote the song I know that there are people out there who are going to like it. And that person will have seen the example that he laid out and be able to replicate it. But they have to be able to do all of those same things that he did. And for so many people, it's just so much easier to do that with the support of somebody else. You know, they need somebody else to help record them. That person needs to get paid. They need somebody else to build a website. That person needs to get paid. They need somebody else to write emails to uh, to places like Slashdot or to websites like BuzzFeed or, uh, I don't know, um, you write a song about pasta and you send it to Epicurious or, I don't know, whatever. Like, you know, like if you're trying to serve that niche, then you still have to be willing to do all the legwork that gets you to the point of being able to sell it. Mm-hmm. And that's where musicians have to make what essentially amounts to a, a tough decision. Right. And that's a good place for us to to close because Jonathan Colton, when I talked to him, 
he had just been debating this very question. He'd come to this point where he was tired of folding his own T-shirts. There was way more email than he could actually answer. He'd actually hired an assistant to help him answer email. And he was wondering, like, is there a way that I could be doing this better? Should I go with a label? And he went back and forth. And he went to the label and he talked to the label and he talked to a couple of labels. And these were not major labels. These were independent labels. These were 21st century internet savvy labels. And they sort of talked to him and they said, well, first you need to set up a you know, a Twitter account. He was like, I got one. They were like, how many followers do you have? And he was like, I have 60,000. They were like, oh, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> and they started asking him for advice, basically. And so he stumbled onto a model that I think a label could follow. And the way he explained it, there's, there are people now who are starting to do it. Some of the newer labels are starting to become much more internet savvy and, and basically helping other artists do the thing that he was, through luck and a strange fluke, able to do himself. So that might be the way we go. I wouldn't look for the other one to disappear anytime soon. <laughs> Sadly for our rhetorical argument, I don't think I would hold my breath. Boys like honey, no one else could fill the shoes. The time and the weather, headlines and the local news. As always, please send us your thoughts, questions, comments, and this is important, examples of how the internet is good or bad for you musicians, planetmoney at npr.org. You can also check out our friends at NPR Music, where? nprmusic.org. nprmusic.org. And, you know, to send us out, let's hear one more Jonathan Colton song. Since we're in public radio, this is a song that Jonathan Colton wrote about the local public radio news host here in New York City, Satirius Johnson. That is the name of the song, Satirius Johnson. It's called Dance, Satirius Johnson Dance. And it imagines Satirius Johnson with a secret double life as a club kid who goes out to all-night raves before rolling into his office early in the morning to do the news. I'm Alex Bloomberg. I'm Jake Regans. I'm Franny Kelly. Thank you for listening. The magic fades as the sun comes up. It's time he goes. He takes a quick shower, a shave, puts on off his clothes. Hails a cab in the early gray dawn Gets to work and turns his microphone on And his dulcet tones wake up this city dance Satiris Johnson dance